all have a lot of misconceptions, I think, about God. We, we know in our heart, for example, that God is good. Amen? God is strong. God is faithful. God is kind. All these things we know. And it's amazing how many times when difficulty comes our way, in our, we know these in our heart, but in our mind, we begin to panic. Or we worry, or we begin to doubt, and our hearts get filled with unbelief. And I believe, again, it's primarily because the real issue for many of us, it's not the fact that we don't believe in God. It's not even just the problem. The issue is just our picture of God, our real understanding of who God is. Our, our problem oftentimes is our experience with Him. Um, for example, if our experience with God is small, well, what happens when the problem comes our way is big? Usually the difference between your understanding of God and what is the size of your problem is what determines the amount of stress and the amount of worry. And that's really at the heart, I think, of most of the issues that we face. It might sound simplistic, but I believe it's true. It's that our experience in God just isn't big enough. It's not all that God intends for us. The Bible is very clear that Jesus does not change. Hebrews says that, that Jesus is what? Say it with me. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And we really find great comfort if we trust in that fact. But instead, oftentimes, we trust in our feelings, don't we? We trust in our emotions or what it is we see before us from day to day. In fact, it's interesting how we can even encounter God in some incredible ways. We can have a, a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord this morning where we may really feel his closeness. We may come away wondering, wow, God, you're amazing. And then the first thing tomorrow, or maybe this afternoon, something comes our way, a problem arises. And isn't it amazing how quickly we can feel like all of a sudden Jesus doesn't care? Or where are you? Or why is this happening to me? It's, it's amazing how quickly our feelings can change and we forget that God doesn't change. I think it's one of the reasons why the Bible uses the imagery when describing God, uses the imagery of a mountain. There's just something about a mountain, right, that it doesn't change. It's steadfast. I mean, if you ever live near a mountain, you don't worry every morning when you wake up whether or not the mountain's there, do you? You don't go to work and call home and say to the kids, listen, would you mind taking a look out the window? Make sure the mountain's still there. You don't do that. The mountain is there. Why? Because the mountain is a mountain, Right? It really, technically, it doesn't change. It's really there forever. And, and the Scripture wants us to understand, even though it can't even begin to describe the steadfastness of God in our own understanding, it's a great picture. And God is saying, I want you to understand like that mountain, it doesn't change. You don't have to come to God every day and say, God, are you the same? God, can I de depend on you? In fact, James says that he's not, he doesn't change like shifting shadows. He doesn't play tricks on you. He reveals who he is to you and me because he wants you to know that's who I am. I do not change. And you need to know that I do not change. In fact, he says, because I do not change, in one scripture, you are not consumed. In other words, you can, you can be assured if you're my child, let's move on. Let's, let's, let's be who you are rather than always trying to be something. Begin to walk in who you are as my son and daughter. You don't have to worry that I love you today and I love you tomorrow. I love you today and I'm mad at you tomorrow. You don't have to worry about that stuff. Just get on with understanding who I am, what I've done for you, how I reveal myself to you, and I don't change. I love what Pastor Theo always says. He just says, God is God. And that really sums it up. That's a whole lot of theology in those few little words. God does not change. And so in time of need, our real need 
is to stop judging God by our emotions and even by our experiences and start standing in the revelation of who he really is and the fact that he does not change. Now, along with that revelation that God does not change, there's also something else we have to understand, and that is that everything that happens to us, everything, even the struggling and the pain, all of that stuff, everything is about God. Let me say that again. Everything is about God. We lose sight of that. Because for most of us, we just think that life is life, don't we? You know, in fact, we even have a, we even have a saying, that's life. Or life just happens. And so it's just life is life. And so we worry when things happen that make life more difficult. And yet the Bible says in Colossians that Jesus holds everything together by the word of his power. And what that means is that every situation, everything that happens to you and me happens for this reason. It happens to give you an opportunity to discover something about God you didn't know before. That's the whole purpose. It is all about him. It is all about how he wants us to know him and how he wants us to know him. I mentioned this morning already that I've entitled this message, God, Our Deliverer. And we're going to look at that. It's not really an exegetical message this morning, more topical. But we're going to look at that in, in that particular quality, that trait, in the light of the story of Israel's exodus from the land of Egypt. Before we do that, we need to understand something. I really believe this, that the story of Exodus... The story of God delivering Israel from Egypt is not just a story about how God used his power to deliver his people from years and years of slavery. I believe the story of the Exodus is really a story about this simple fact. God loves to deliver us. That's what the story is. It's not just how he did it and all the cool miracles, as wonderful as that is, it's about the heart of God. God loves to deliver us. He wants us to know that, that he loves us and he wants us to experience that part of his being. Now, there's a catch. You see, there's always a catch. And there really is. And we've got to start grappling with this and understanding this. If we're going to walk with God, move with God. And that is that in order for you and me to understand and experience that God is a deliverer, it requires that you and I find ourselves from time to time in situations where we need deliverance. Does that make sense? I mean, I know that sounds logical, but friends, that is so true. If we're going to know any aspect of God, we have to be willing to be in a place where God is able to manifest that quality. Does that make sense? And yet oftentimes, if not most times, we try to avoid that. Uh, we have a saying that it's when you go through hard times that you discover who your friends are, right? The same is true of our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our provider. He really is. He is our Savior. He is our healer. He is our friend. It goes on and on and on and on. But you only really discover that for yourself when you need God to provide for you, when you need God to heal you, when you're alone and feel forsaken and forgotten and you need to know that he is your friend and he cares about you. You can't know that with your heart, with all of your being, unless you are actually going through the very thing that requires him to be that thing. 
That's why we often say that the person with the experience is never at the mercy of the person with the argument. You can talk theology with somebody all day and they can have convincing arguments why God is this or isn't that or why this doesn't happen nowadays or God doesn't do this anymore. And all you got to do is say, well, you know what, when I read the word of God, I see that it does. But on top of that, I've experienced it. You see, I know God still heals today. You can, you can do all the, the theological acrobatics that you want, but I know God still baptizes with the Holy Spirit today. I know people still speak in tongues today. I know the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available today. I know God is this and this and this. I know it because I've experienced him. And, of course, we have to back it up in Scripture, but you'll never have a problem doing that. I was talking about this with a friend yesterday after the funeral service, and, and she asked a simple question. She said, Pastor Paul, how do you know you love Vanessa? Now, you see, I could, I could stand here and say, well, I know I love Vanessa because, well, I'm attracted to her. Uh, she's pretty. Uh, she's a nice woman. Um, I can say all the things I would have said 35 years ago when I thought I was in love. And I was. In as much as I understood love, as a 24-year-old man standing at the altar, marrying, marrying a woman who I'd known for about nine months. Right? It's not that I was lying. But today I can say I love my wife because of 35 years of wonderful times and difficult times and ups and downs and challenges and pregnancy and raising children and dealing with finances all the things we have walked through in 35 years in fact when I look at my wife today as beautiful as, as she is it's not this beauty only it's in here it's what I see when I see that person it's what we've walked through together it's what we've known together what we've come together the fact that she loves me despite all the things she knows about me that she loves me is committed to me and loves me more deeply you see I know her in a way that I really can't explain to you and if your theology is such that you can explain you know in a concise way of just you know what God means to you what Jesus means to you you probably really don't know him in the deep way that he wants you to know him it doesn't mean that we can't talk about the Lord in a real way and we can't express our experience, but you understand what I'm saying. There's some things that God has brought you through. There's some things you know about him that you've experienced about him. And, and all you can say is, I know he's real. And I know God is this, and I know God is that. And I don't care what theological arguments you may have. I don't care what atheistic arguments you may have. It doesn't matter. I know. I know. And the Lord wants us to have that kind of relationship, all of us. Now, I'm looking forward to the day when I can know Jesus for all that he is without having to go through some of the things to discover that. I'm looking for, forward to the day that I don't have to go through struggle anymore or sorrow or pain. But until then, everything we go through is for the purpose of us discovering something about him that we could never know in any other way. That's why James says in chapter 1, he says, When troubles of any time come your way, consider it what? An opportunity for great joy. Say, Father, I don't look forward to this. I don't really welcome this thing that I'm going through and I'm struggling with. But, Father, what I do know is you are God. It's all about you. And, Father, you will use this to show me something about you. You will use this because in your wisdom, you have decided it's time for me to grow in something. 
It's time for me to understand something about you or something about life or something you want to shape in me to use in the future. And so, Father, in light of that, just like Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the process of the cross and now is seated with the Father. Father, I thank you in the same way that I can look at this and there can be joy in the midst of the suffering because I know you are God. My God is God. You are in control of my life. And so I trust, Lord, you have some purpose for this. There's something you are working in me. There's something you are doing around me. And Lord, I have a joy in knowing this is not for nothing. Every trouble we face is a chance to learn for ourselves that God is bigger than our trouble. I mean, if I was to ask us this morning, do you believe God is bigger than cancer? We'd all say, amen. Do you believe God is bigger than depression? Do you believe God is bigger than whatever issue it may be in your relationship? I'm sure we would all say, of course he is. No contest. You see, we know that academically, but do we know it experientially? And so when trouble comes, the last thing usually on our mind is praise the Lord. This is an opportunity for great joy. Instead, let's be honest, we usually panic. We panic. We're afraid. We feel like maybe God doesn't love us. But the reason we are where we are is because he does love us. The reason we are where we are is because he wants us to know that he is bigger than anything we face. He wants us to know that, not just believe it, actually experience it. Now, the people of Israel are not going to go into their story in great length, but basically we know that they were God's people, the people of Israel. They were slaves in Egypt, and we can relate to them in some way. Because as slaves, they would have woken up every single day and just felt the burden of the fact this is never going to change. Every day, it's going to be the same. Every day, I'm a slave. Every day, my conditions don't improve. They probably only get worse. It must have been a very, very difficult thing to know when they got up every day, it was going to be the same. It says in Exodus chapter 2 that during those many years, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And I love this last verse. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He knew. And we feel like that sometimes. Sometimes you find yourself in a state, a place, a situation, whatever, and you feel like it's never going to change. I wake up every day, and it just seems to be the same. It seems to be the same hopelessness, it seems to be the same marriage, it seems to be the same financial situation, the same stress, the same person at the work that makes life miserable for me. Whatever it may be, we just feel like it's just another day, it's just I can't, you know, I, I just have to endure this again. We feel like nothing's going to change. There's a lot of lessons in this story, but I just want us to notice this. I'm not going into great depth in the story itself, but I want us to notice why these people were in bondage. And there's usually two reasons why we find ourselves in a similar place or a similar mindset or a similar struggle such as this. The first reason is because oftentimes we just make wrong choices. We either decide to kind of do things on our own. You know, we believe in God, but basically we live life on our terms. We try to not do bad things, but we make our decisions ourselves. I was talking to somebody again yesterday. They were talking about a, a, somebody they heard speaking, and the person was saying, you know, when it comes to talking with God, I basically get five minutes. I was referring, actually, it's a coincidence. I just think someone spoke on that a while ago. But, you know, I got five minutes for God kind of thing. It's like, God, if you want to talk to me, that's the time you got because I'm busy. And I thought, that's pretty sad. 
You're not going to know God that way, and he's not going to have an opportunity to speak to you. if You've only got a few minutes a day to squeeze God in. But if that's our attitude, what happens? We end up making a whole lot of poor decisions, and we find ourselves in situations that God doesn't want for us, but it's of our own making because we didn't take time to wait on him or walk with him or, cons- or consult him in those things. So that can happen. But the second reason is because that anything is not because of anything we've done, but it's because God has put you there. He's put you there to grow you and to show you something about himself. Now, the amazing thing about God is this, is that whether you are where you are because of your own stupidity or because of God's sovereignty, in both cases, God is still your deliverer. In both cases, he still wants to save you. He still wants to deliver you. That hasn't changed. That's that's still his heart. But he wants to show you something about himself. And I think that's really important to understand when we find ourselves in that place. Because if you're like me, when you find yourself in the midst of a challenge or a struggle, the first thing that usually comes to your mind is this, why did this happen to me? Am I unique? Anybody ever thought that? (laughs) Why did this happen to me? What have I done wrong? Have I sinned? Where have I messed up? Why is God allowing this to happen? Is that not right? I think we all think that way. We're not always in trouble because we did something wrong. And in fact, if that's where you are this morning, I want to encourage you. Just ask the Lord. If you feel like, you know, did I bring this upon myself? If you genuinely don't know why, like why is this happening? Just go to God. James says if you lack wisdom, you lack understanding, just just go to the Lord. And if there is something wrong, if it is sin, you know what? The Holy Spirit is faithful. He will just bring it to light. He will show you what it is. And if it is something that can be repented of, corrected, restitution, whatever it may be, and then you move on your way, that's wonderful. But don't be afraid to ask the Lord. But hear me, friends, this morning. If you're asking the Lord and nothing comes to light, then I want to encourage you to put that thought aside and begin just to walk with the Lord. Because there is a purpose He has in mind for this. He wants you to know that that kind of thinking doesn't come from Him. If you've done something, you regret it, what do we do? We confess our faults, we confess our sin to the Lord, and he says, I want you to know that you are forgiven. But the reason it oftentimes comes to our mind we face challenges is because in our natural mind, we always want to find a reason, right? Because we always think, you know, this happened because of this. Okay, well, I can kind of live with that. And it's really difficult sometimes to go through things and not really understand why or not feel like we can make a connection as to the cause. Friends, there's not always a cause, And I don't say this to be cute, but there is always a purpose. Not a cause, but there is a purpose. If you've not sinned, if God's not revealed sin, then it's not punishment, it's not discipline, it's time to stop worrying and time to start walking with the Lord. It's time to consider this an opportunity of great joy. And it doesn't mean we enjoy the journey itself, but there comes joy, which Nehemiah says, joy becomes strength to you in the knowledge that you are a child of God and there is something God is working in you or in the person involved or in the situation that God has a purpose. And he's saying, listen, I want you to worry less and I want you to walk with me. I want you to press in with me. And oftentimes, God will use those challenging times, won't he, to rearrange our priorities, He's not doing it because I haven't been faithful in prayer, but now that it's arisen, he will use that to drive me to him. 
to renew my prayer life, to renew things just in my faith walk to maybe re- make me realize, you know what, I've kind of had them on the counter for a while. Life's been really busy. I mean, I've put in those five minutes once in a while or, you know, I, whatever. I know he's been inviting me, but I really haven't had time. Whatever it may be, and the Lord is saying, listen, I'm going to use this right now because you really need to know that you need me. You really need to know that, that I love you that I want to walk with you, that I want you to walk. You need to understand that it's not just about everything going easy in life that means I'm good. You need to know I'm good. You need to know me. So there's a variety of reasons that only God knows, but the joy comes in knowing that he knows. Now, Israel was slaves in Egypt toward the latter part of their stay there. But if you know this story, you know that the reason Israel went into Egypt was because God had sent them there through Joseph. There was going to be a famine. If you know the story back in Genesis, you can read it yourself. There was going to be a famine in the land. And so to save the Egyptians and to save God's people, Israel, he sent them into, Israel, into Egypt under Joseph. There was only about 70 of them all together when they left. There were millions of them, but there was only about 70 of them at the time. So God sends them in. But here's the, here's the point. Before he even sends them into Egypt in that whole situation of the famine through Joseph, It was over 200 years before that God had actually spoken to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. And God had told Abraham, I'm going to make a great people after you, your descendants, and I am going to send them in as sojourners into Egypt where they will be for 400 years and they will be slaves. Well, what's the big deal about that? The big deal is we see from Scripture God knew they were going to go in and not only going to go in, but he knew they were going to be slaves. He knew for a period in their history they were going to suffer. God was the one who led them in. God knew in advance all of this. And you may say, well, why in the world would God send them there to be slaves? I have no idea. I mean, I know theologically what came out of that. But even what came out of that when they were delivered in the wonderful story we have, it's about more than just their story. It's about something that God was working in human history that would affect billions of people over thousands of years, things that we can't begin to comprehend, the ramifications, that whole miraculous story. Not to mention what God did in the history he gave them so Israel could always look back. That's why God would always say to them, remind your children by my, the power of my strong hand and, and just remind them, remind them, remind them where they came from and what God did. They had that anchor, they had that history to always go back on. That's on a bigger scale. But on a personal level, God is growing us. You see, God just has a way of reaching into kind of the the mundane, the, the fruitless routine of our lives and saying, listen, I love you. Now, I want to begin to show you something that really matters. I see your life. I see your goals, I see the business, I see all the ways you fill your week, but you know what, I love you too much to let you keep going that way. I really want to do something in your life that has consequence. I really want to make you into somebody that really matters. I want your life to count. I really want you to have an imprint, an impact in your generation. So he does it on a personal level. Revelation 3.18. It's a scripture I read once, we're going through kind of a hard time. Revelation 3.18, Jesus says, Buy from me gold refined in the fire. You see, if I'm honest this morning, I I, I can honestly say, I just want to be happy. Anybody? You know, I'm not asking much. Just want to be happy. So God, you know, if you love me, it's not complicated. I just want to be happy. But as I've said before, happiness has been defined 
as making your happenings happen the way you want them to happen. That's what happiness is. And, and the problem is the Lord understands that if I settle for that kind of superficial emotion, that kind of superficial happiness, then he knows that as soon as something difficult comes my way, it's going to rob me of happiness. It doesn't take very much to, to make, uh, make that happiness go away. And that's why Jesus said in John 14, he said, Peace I leave with you. What does he say? My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. And do not be afraid. I find that interesting. That trouble comes our way. Challenges come our way. Struggles. Pain comes our way. And Jesus says, you have a choice. You can let your heart be troubled. Or you can choose to not let your heart be troubled. And the way that your heart will not be troubled in a way that will overwhelm you, that will overcome you, is you need to know my peace. You need to know there's something available beyond just your circumstance working out or just the difficulty going away. There's something greater than that that I want you to know. I want you to experience. I want it to be yours that you own. And the only way you're going to know that is as you walk through that struggle with me, as you buy from me what has been tested and proven. I mean, have you ever admired somebody in the church, whether it's this church or another church, and you just admired them because, you know, they've walked with the Lord for years, and you just, you just see there's a depth of spiritual experience there, or there's wisdom, or there's love. You just really know that they know God. They're not just old saints, dusty old saints, you know. There's just a knowledge of God. There's, there's a joy. There's a light in their eyes. And you look at a person like that, and you say, I, just, I would just love to have what they have. And you know what? It's available for everyone. But what we oftentimes forget is that those qualities, they don't just fall into our lap. Those qualities are bought in the fire. Those qualities are purchased in those times when we don't let our heart be troubled. And how do we not let our heart be troubled? That is when a struggle comes our way, we don't do what many professing believers do. We don't just take matters into our own hands. We don't just say, oh God, you don't care about me. You don't love me. Or we don't say, I'm going to take care of this myself because God, you don't seem to care. No, instead they learn to press in. They learn to spend time with God. They learn, if necessary, to fast and pray. They learn to walk with God, to abide with God, to weep with God, to be real with God, to bring their problems to God and to sort them out in the presence of God. That's what they learn to do. They come before the Father, and rather than saying, here's my problem, I better get to work and solve it, they come to the Father and say, Father, I need to purchase gold. I need to purchase something that only comes from you. I need something that's been tried and tested and is from you. I need gold. I need grace. I need you. Lord, I need to walk with you. And they begin to walk, and the Lord walks with us. To have that kind of strength, there needs to be an anchoredness in Christ. You have to have those struggles that build that into you. And God knows that when you come out the other end of the struggle, you are going to be thankful. You're going to be thankful. We're never thankful for the struggle in itself, but we're so thankful for what we have received that we never could have received any other way. An insight, an experience in God that we never could have had. And it really shouldn't surprise us because it's exactly what Jesus modeled for us. 
Listen to what the Bible says. Just a few scriptures. Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was young. Luke says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now think about that. He's saying that at a young age, Jesus learned to grow in his walk with the Father. In Jesus' own life, there was actual movement from one level to the next level. Hebrews 2. God is the one who made all things, and all things are for his glory. He wanted to have many children, what? Share in his glory. Not just see it. Not just be awed and amazed. He wants us to share in his glory, in his presence, in his radiance. That the word glory also means weight, substance. He wants us to have it inside of us. He doesn't want us just to believe about it. He wants us to have it. He wants us to walk around with it. I want you to share in that glory, he says. He wanted to have many children share in his glory, so he made the one who leads people, or in other translations says, who's the founder of salvation, speaking of Jesus, he made Jesus, who leads people to salvation, perfect through suffering. Now think about this for a moment. God the Father perfected Jesus, the Son of God, in flesh through suffering. What does that mean? It means that all through his natural life, Jesus, in a very real sense, is moving toward perfection. And then Hebrews 5. Although he was a son, Jesus, what? Learned obedience through what he knew, through what he suffered. Not what he read about, through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So when you put just these few scriptures together, you have Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, who is without sin, growing in wisdom, growing in favor with God and man, being made perfect through suffering, learning obedience through the things that he suffered. How is that possible if Jesus is perfect in that he is sinless. He's the son of God. How is it perfect that there can be any kind of process, any kind of growing, learning, shaping, perfection? How is that possible? Well, you see, Jesus wasn't moving from sinfulness to sinlessness. He's not like us in that regard. That's not what the scripture is talking about. In fact, the Bible is very clear in Hebrews 4 that Jesus was sinless. So how can Jesus be perfected or learn obedience if he never sinned. I believe the phrase, he learned obedience, means simply this. Jesus, as 100% human, went from in day by day or whatever season God was using, he went from untested obedience into suffering, through suffering into tested, proven obedience. Does that make sense? There's a process there. There's, there's a growth that is going on there. You see, if you think about it, if you're good enough in a particular area, you can be tested and go through it without failing, right? You don't mess up every time you learn something new, do you? Right? There's lots of things on the job at school, whatever it may be. You learn, you've tested, you pass, you go on. You don't fail every time. 
Fail, fail. No, no, you learn. Sometimes you struggle. Sometimes you don't pass the first time. But you, you're tested. You move from one place of untested knowledge or experience through that experience, and now you're tested and proven. It's behind you. Now you can build upon that and go to the next place, right? That process, we all do that in various ways in the course of our life. Well, I believe the new task that Jesus had to learn, maybe not every day, but in every new situation, every new challenge, even up to his last hours in the Garden of Gethsemane, was simply this. Here's a new experience. And the question for Jesus is, can I endure the suffering that I'm going to have to experience in this situation that I've never experienced before? And can I learn this new obedience that I have never performed before? You see? So there's new dimensions of suffering, of struggle, of pain, of growth, of learning in his, in his humanness, and there's new levels of obedience. If that were not true, Jesus would never have sweated sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it was not a new challenge, a new struggle, a new level of obedience, a new level of experience. Jesus wasn't just going through the motions to give us a nice story. He literally was fighting for his life. But what he did was he left the disciples who were sleeping and he went to his father. It was always pressing him with his father. Father, I turn to you. Father, I, I, I can't do this. In fact, Jesus again wasn't just making it up when he said, take this from me. I can't do this. I can't do this, but Father, I'm going to draw close to you because for the joy of knowing that even though I don't know how I'm going to get through this, I know that you know, and I know from my history that you will keep me, and there's gold still that I can purchase from you. There is strength, and there's power, and there's wisdom, and there's victory. So, Father, I turn to you. And the Bible says that after he won that battle that the angels appeared and they ministered to him. And that's what the Lord does for us. If we will hold on, if we will press into him, if we will realize that he's in control, that he loves me, there is purpose for this. If there's sin, I confess it, it's dealt with, I'm forgiven. But if it's not a sin issue, I recognize, Father, you love me. Nothing is outside of the scope of your care or your knowledge or your concern. And so I cling to you. I will not turn from you. I will not believe the devil's lie and accuse you and point my finger at you. The only thing I say to you, God, is I know you are good. And I know that you love me. I don't understand this, but I turn to you because there's strength in no one else. There's certainly not strength in myself. And I don't want to walk away from you. And I don't want to take matters into my hands and just make things worse. Lord, I'm going to wait on you. I'm not going to move. And I'm not going to move by way of decisions and actions until I hear from you because I don't want to make things worse. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you. And Lord, I know you're going to show me something. I know there's going to come a time when I'm going to look back, and it might be shortly after, and just say, wow, God, you're amazing. You're amazing. Jesus always committed himself to his Father. And every test Jesus went through, he added obedience to obedience to obedience, and he was made perfect. And he wasn't made perfect in the sense of, again, moving from sinfulness to sinlessness, but from untested obedience to tested obedience. Look at Hebrews 2 again, verse 10. God wanted to have many children share his glory. So he made the one who is our example, the one who leads the way, he made Jesus perfect through suffering. We know that we failed our test. The human race failed its test. But Jesus, the Bible says, had to succeed perfectly. So he could offer up himself, not only as our perfect Savior, 
but also as our perfect Lord, so that as I trust in him, then I become united with him and his success in becoming a perfectly obedient son of God becomes our success in becoming perfectly obedient sons and daughters of God. He wants to work the same in us. He wants us to know that same obedience and all that comes out of that. And like Jesus, our ultimate goal in enduring the suffering and enduring the struggles that produce this growth is not only for our own benefit. As we sit at the outset of the message, God is the one who made all things, and all things are for what? His glory. Now that's exactly the connection Jesus makes in his prayer in John 17. He says this, Father, I glorified you on earth. Now, when we read that, let's be honest, we think what he's talking about is all his miracles. Right? That's what usually comes to our mind. We just think of all the signs and wonders that Jesus did. Jesus said, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus glorifying the Father was not only in the miracles. In fact, there came a time where Jesus said, okay, enough with the miracles. Start listening to what I'm saying. Repent, the kingdom's at hand. God loves you, wants to touch you, wants to heal. I did that to get your attention. But look, here's the real message. So for me, for Jesus glorifying the Father wasn't just in the miracles. It was the life that Jesus modeled of perfect obedience to the Father and the fruitfulness and the joy and the wisdom and authority that came out of that walk that people around him, you know what? Yeah, they knew he was a miracle worker, but more importantly, they knew he was the Son of God. They knew that no one talked like he talked. No one had the authority that he had. What do they mean? They mean no one. We've never heard anybody that knows God like he does. That's how I glorified you, Father. All the people have seen is religion, dead religion. But I have shown them someone who knows you. And I have shown them that they can know you too. That's what it's all about. Because ultimately what God is interested in, he's interested in intimate communion relationship with you and me and with every human being. In Exodus 9.13, God tells Moses that he would deliver Israel by miraculous demonstrations of power. But here's the reason why. So that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, God's not saying that he wants you and me to suffer so he can be famous for himself. No, he's already got lots of fame. He's not worried about that. He's, he's, he's not worried about you defending him. His fame is for you and me. Hear me, friends. God's saying, I want to be glorified in you. God's saying, I want to lead you into and bring you through times that you're going to wonder, Lord, why? What have I done wrong? What is wrong? How come this has happened to me? I want you to understand, my son. I want you to understand, my daughter. I'm working something in you. And what I'm working in you is for this purpose. It's for your benefit because I want you to know me in a new way. I want you to experience me. But also on top of that, I want people around you to know your God is real. You see, you might believe your God is mighty, but you see, there's people around who don't know that. So if you don't mind, I'm going to put you into something. I'm going to walk through you with something because I want to show people around you that your God is real. 
that your God is mighty. I want them to be able to look at you and the way that you process stuff, where you're going through things. I want them to see in you a peace that passes understanding. I want them to hear from you after you've gone through things and learned things, not just theological rhetoric, not just little religious cliches. When you speak, I want them to have a sense, this person knows God. They know what they're talking about. They know this God they're talking about. And in order for that to happen, you've got to be willing for my power to be displayed in you through the hard times you're going through. Amen. Does that make sense? God wants your friends and family to know that he's a loving God. They want you to know that he's a faithful God. It doesn't mean he always answers your prayers the way you want them answered. We just said goodbye to our dear sister Nancy, and everyone at the funeral would say, oh, we'd love for Nancy to be around, but I can tell you this, God was glorified in her life. Not only in her life, God was glorified in the journey through those who walk with their brothers and sisters and those who are going into eternity, and they see them walking through those times with peace. They see them walking through those times with songs in their heart. They see them coming together at a funeral service and not just, you know, same service, different name, full in the blank, but they actually hear testimonies and there's worship and the presence of God is in that service. These people know God. These people have an assurance that there really is life after this, that they really will see the loved ones who die in the Lord. The Lord is jealous for his name, for his fame, because he wants everyone around to know that he is real. The question is, is our walk with Christ about us, or is it about him? If it's about me, then it's always about, Lord, I just want to be happy. And I'm not being insensitive, because we all were wired that way in our flesh. But if it's about him... Then we say, Lord, I recognize there's no sin in here. I don't know why, where this came from. It came out of the blue. But, Lord, my confidence in you, I love you. I know you love me. Lord, give me grace to walk with you because there's something you're doing here and something you're going to do through this. He plans stuff in your life for your good, but also for the good of those who don't know him. You know, I say this with all kindness, but in our Western culture at least, our pul pulpits are full of just positive thinking. I, I don't say this critically, friends, but I just, you know, I travel around sometimes and I just feel like so many sermons today, they're just motivational talks. And, and I'm pleased hear my heart. I'm not critical. Nobody comes to mind when I say that, but it's just, you know, you, you can just build big things on just all this positive motivation, but we need to understand something this morning. It's so much of what is being taught as the Word of God today. All it is, it's, it's about how you can avoid the very things that are necessary if you're going to experience God. You're not going to experience God that way. You'll, you'll have nice thoughts. You'll have the cliches, but you won't know your God. And if, you're, if what attracts you, as Paul said in the last days, gathering teachers around that, you know, that, that tickle their itching ears, if that's what you want, you can have that. But when real life happens, when struggle happens, I, I, you won't walk with God. You won't know God. You'll discover that the cliches don't work. The Lord says, I want you to experience me, no matter how positive you want to be. You see, if your picture of God is only this big, and your struggle comes this big, then God wants you to know he's this big. And he'll do that if you let him, if you walk with him. And you know what? You'll get through that, and the Lord will minister to you, and you'll have a testimony, and, and you'll just love the Lord and be amazed by what he did. And a season will go by, and the Lord will say, okay, now it's time again. Because you see, the last time, last time I left you off, I was this big. Well, now your problem's this big. But I want you to know this time that I'm this big.
Same thing. Are you ready? Are you going to walk it through me? And see, the joy is knowing, Lord, you were faithful in this. You showed me something in this. Lord, I don't look forward to this. But, Lord, I know you, and I know that I'm going to come out of this, and you're going to be bigger. You're going to be bigger. And that's what God wants for us. In our walk with him, he wants to be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Just as he was to the Lord himself. If everything is always hunky-dory. Do we still use that term? Just struck my mind. Maybe you don't. <laughs> but if everything is always hunky-dory, you know what? You'll think that life is good. And I love life. But you'll never know that God is good. You'll never experience God as your provider. God is your deliverer. You'll never experience that God is God. I'm going to ask musicians to join me. You know, God doesn't expect you to ask for struggles. And he doesn't want you to worry when things are going well that, oh, no, it's bound to happen. They will come. But they come because he loves you. Maybe some of us here this morning are already in that process. And you really can find hope knowing that God is bigger than your struggle. And it's not just a cliche. But regardless of why you are in it, God is bigger than that. You can know that it really is an opportunity for joy. Let us come your way. And if you're in that process this morning, I want to encourage you to ask for prayer. I want to encourage you to find somebody, to find a few believers, and just let them share your burden with you as you walk with God through this time. Don't, don't carry it alone. But more than anything, I want to encourage you to press in with Jesus. I want to encourage you, don't turn away. Don't get busier. Don't try to distract yourself with other things. I want to encourage you, this is the season to wait upon the Lord. This is the season to be real, to bring your pain to him, to be real with him, whatever you're feeling, but turn to him. Bring it to him. Don't turn away. Don't occupy yourself. That's not the answer. Turn into the Lord, and if need be, share with a brother or sister. Walk together, as James says. Share your burdens one with another and fulfill the law of Christ. That's what the Lord would have us to do. Maybe this message this morning is just for one person, maybe two people. But it's also something that you can tuck away and carry with you. Because if life is going well, wonderful. Praise the Lord. Enjoy this, the peaceful season. That's wonderful. But hard times will come. But they come because God loves you. Because he loves you. And he wants you to experience him and to know your God. And just like my wife, if I ask you, why do you know the Lord? Why do you love the Lord, rather? And if all you can say is something about back when you got saved 40 years ago or 20 years ago, there might be a possibility you, you don't know him anymore. Just like you can live together under the same roof and not know each other. You can be strangers under the same roof. We can be the same in the house of God Sunday after Sunday. Sense his presence, appreciate him, but be complete strangers. Lord says, I want you to know me. I want you to know me because those who know their God, they will be strong and they will do great things. God will use them in great ways. Why? Because there's glory in their life. There's weight in their life. There's substance in their life. People around you look at you and say, they know God. They know God. There's something different about them. I got a lot of religious people in the office. Oh, I got, you know, Christians, and I've got Muslims, and I've got Hindus, and I've got atheists. But there's this one woman, there's this one guy, that when you're going through something, you're just drawn to them. Like, because you know they know something. 
you know they know their God. And friends, it doesn't just drop in your lap. It happens when you're willing to walk with God through what you may be in and what you're going through. I'm going to ask Pastor Christian just to lead us again, the musicians in that song. And as you're sitting for just a few moments before we leave, if you just need the peace of God, I want you to open your heart afresh and just invite the Spirit of God to fill you with peace. I want to invite you afresh if you're processing something, but you're doing it in your own strength, and you say, Pastor, if I'm honest, even in the short time I've been doing it, I'm making a mess of things, let go. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for turning my back on you and thinking I have to work this out. Help me to recognize, Lord, you have led me into this. And you are good. And you are good. And you want to grow me. I want to encourage you to open your heart this morning as we sing this. And just recommit to the Lord. Turn your back on what you've been doing. And say, Lord, I just commit. I want to spend time with you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to walk with you through this. And I'm looking forward to what you do and what you show me and what you grow in me. Let's just sing that softly for a moment.